Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast, a podcast created to provide information about what life is like inside the most specialized special tactics organization in the U.S. Air Force. In these episodes, we'll be bringing you the experiences from many of our experts, ranging from our human performance optimization staff, our combat mission supporters, as well as our special warfare operators. Our main objective with these podcasts are to provide the listener with a unique look inside our culture of excellence in hopes that you will make the 724 a future career goal. Now sit back, relax, take some notes, prepare to hear from some of the Air Force's finest. Thank you for joining us on the Insight Through Experience podcast. Welcome back to the Insight Through Experience podcast, everyone. It is awesome to have you back here. This week, we're talking everything drive. Now, again, our five attributes are what matters the most to us when we're hiring people, and this is how everyone is measured as they come through our ANS process. So what are those five attributes? They are problem solving, interpersonal effectiveness, communication, drive, and stress tolerance. So, so far we've covered problem solving, interpersonal effectiveness, and last week we did communication. So go back and give those a listen if this is the first one you're listening to. But this week we are tackling drive. And when we say drive, basically we're talking about motivation, orientating yourself towards a task and doing it effectively and to the best of your ability. So how are we going to do it? We're going to start out as we always do by going to the document that's hanging on the website, our attributes and expectations. And we're going to define what we mean as drive and then give you our expectations of what we need to see when you're here so you can demonstrate to us that you have the drive that we're looking for. We're then going to cover some concepts that most of you have at least some familiarity with when it comes to intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation. We're only bringing those into the picture because I think they're good concepts for you to understand what your mind is doing and how your subconscious and your conscious mind both come into play when we're talking about driving your focus on moving forward effectively. And as always, we're going to cover some pitfalls that we've seen. I'm going to give you some real world examples from peer feedback that we've had over the last few years. And then last but not least, we're going to give some tips on how you can stay focused in those moments to keep pushing forward and show us and demonstrate to us and the commander who's going to make the final decision that you have the drive we're looking for as an organization. All right, y'all grab your favorite caffeinated beverage, grab something to write with and take some notes and let's get into the attribute drive. So if I was on the outside of this organization looking in, I might be wondering why are you even focused on drive? Why is drive such a higher priority that it made one of your attributes for hiring? especially in the operator context, because what I will concede is we are picking through highly vetted operators already. Guys who went through the pipeline, found success, and have been to a unit and have also been successful. Obviously, it takes high levels of drive to get to that point. So why would we focus so much on it here? I'd argue that it's two things, freedom of movement and credibility. You see, we're all motivated to do our skill set. We're all motivated to do JTAC stuff, to do medicine, to go jumping, to shoot, to learn how to move better, to learn how to communicate better. We're motivated to do all of that. And that motivation equals drive. We wake up and just looking for the next opportunity. When are we going to the range? When are we going to the climbing tower to practice some rope skills? When are we grabbing our parachutes and heading to the DZ? All these things are the easy things. And every beret wear that you see out there will have high levels of drive and motivation to go do those things. But those things all take tons and tons of mundane tasks to make them happen. And those mundane tasks are where the credibility and your freedom of movement are really created. 
So if you're only good and motivated to do the good stuff, then you're probably not the person we're looking for. And here's the wartime analogy, right? The hour that you spend on target, usually in the modern context, takes a week, a month, or even a year of planning, rehearsing, briefing, getting feedback, changing the plan, changing the brief, rebriefing. It takes all of these mundane tasks just to get on target for one hour. We need people who thrive in the mundane and on target. Now that we understand why the organization values drive so much, let's go ahead and define drive and look at the expectations we expect of candidates when they come. So drive initiates action and persists to accomplish tasks and goals. Expectations. We expect candidates to possess deep levels of drive and initiative. We will assess this during the entire ANS process from your application submittal to the final hiring decision. We want to see a candidate's ability to be given a task or problem set, initiate action, and persist through task accomplishment, regardless of external circumstances. This also means paying attention to details and performing high-quality work. It's not just about surviving, it's about thriving. The other important note about drive, and you may remember this from the Interpersonal Effectiveness podcast, is that drive is focused in our eyes solely on the individual. So when you're doing individual events, like a PT event, let's say you're deadlifting or doing a sled push, we're measuring your personal level of drive. If you're in a team event where you are integrating inside a team to accomplish a mission, that is no longer drive. That is we consider interpersonal effectiveness. Are you doing things to help the team accomplish their goal? All right, let's talk briefly about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Now, if you've never heard of these words before, that would seem odd to me, but let's just recap. And extrinsic motivation comes from the outside. It comes from outside you. It could be a simple reward for doing a task or it could be to simply avoid punishment. Now, that always takes me back to Paris Island and my Marine boot camp days where 99.9% of the things we were told to do and we were doing, we were doing so we wouldn't get punished. Now, there are times when extrinsic motivation, even though most of the times we think of it as a negative thing, there's plenty of times where it can be used. You can use it effectively to accomplish a task, especially those tasks that you just don't value, that you don't see the importance in, but still have to get done. You can use extrinsic wards, rewards to help you get through that, whether that's rewarding yourself at the end with a good meal or a, a supervisor coming, giving you an attaboy, whatever it is, sometimes extrinsic motivations are worthwhile. However, what we want to hire inside our organization are people who are intrinsically motivated. Now, intrinsic motivation is just kind of what it sounds like. It's when we do tasks or achieve goals just for the sake of doing them because it feels good, it aligns with our values, and it has meaning to us internally. If I'm intrinsically motivated to do something, it's gonna be much easier for me to focus on the task for much longer, and I'm gonna get a lot more enjoyment out of it because I'm not dependent on anything outside of myself to give me those rewards. So it should be easy to see why we value intrinsic motivated people so much up here and why the people who decide to come up to selection and try to join the unit are usually intrinsically motivated people as well. They want to seek out an environment where they can get the fulfillment of doing their job every single day without the disruption of being surrounded by people who are possibly extrinsically motivated, who are just there surviving, waiting to the four o'clock whistle every afternoon so they can go do something else. I personally lived in that environment before I came up to the organization, 
that's one of the main reasons that drove me to come to selection is I just wanted to be surrounded by intrinsically motivated people who are looking to better themselves every single day. The effects that has on the culture of an organization is amazing when you see it. And I would argue that ours is one of those cultures. I can't walk over to any of the operational units and find and point to somebody who really isn't intrinsically motivated. And the reason why that makes us so successful is you know no matter what, things are getting done that need to get done without somebody having to supervise every little step and coerce and hold that stick and carrot out. So what does this mean to you in a selection context or even just a life context in general? You have to figure out ways how to turn everything into something that you value. Meaning even if it feels like a mundane task, there's something personally that I can gain out of that to better myself. There's nothing I can't find enjoyment in if I just shift my focus and realize that whatever I'm doing holds benefit. And I would offer the same thing when you're coming through the selection process. Some of the things you're really going to enjoy that we give you and some of the tasks that we give you, you're really going to hate. Regardless, if you can see the value in all of them, you can shift your motivation to intrinsic. And that will also shift how you use your energy and your focus during selection. And the last point on that, if your whole reasoning for coming to selection is to get that hiring decision at the end, like if that's your extrinsic reward and you're going all in on it, Imagine how that plays out when you don't get selected. What I would offer is how much growth potential did you miss as you went through the process because you're so focused on that one reward that you're missing everything else. So in my opinion, to be more successful and to gain the most out of this process, let that extrinsic reward go. Shift to an intrinsic mindset to where each thing I do every moment has benefit to me. I can find my own benefit out of it, my own rewards, and I'm going to go all in in the present moment, do whatever they give me to my fullest potential. And at the end, I know I'm going to grow and be a better human for it. In the end, if you think about it, it's really just what we control and what we don't control. Inside the ANS process, you have zero control over the final decision on whether you're hired or not, but you have every bit of control of what you take away from the process. So if you go into each event worried about what the final outcome is going to be, you render that control over to us. If you go into each event saying, no matter what happens, I'm going to take as much out of it as I can so I can grow as a human, you regain every bit of control. So now that we know a little bit more about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and how they factor into the ANS piece, let's look at some pitfalls that we see when it comes to the attribute drive. What are some drive pitfalls that we've seen over the last few years? These are common. That's why I'm going to bring them up now. So you can think through these and hopefully become aware of these as you lean into these tendencies, as most of us do when we're going through something hard like our ANS process. The first one, we need to see you perform individually as well as you perform with a team. And this almost always comes back as a drive motivation problem more than anything. So if we're doing an individual hard event and you come in towards the back of the pack, and then we stick you with another operator or two. And then all of a sudden for the next leg, you move up to the front of the pack. We have now identified an individual drive and motivation issue. I'm not saying that you can't perform individually well. I'm saying you are demonstrating to us in that moment that if you're alone, you're probably not going to be able to perform at optimal levels. There's a thousand reasons why this may be true or may not be true. 
in your specific instance when you come through ANS. But what you need to figure out now is with this awareness and in your train up, how do I make sure that whether I'm alone or whether with a team that I perform optimally every rep all the time. And eventually this is just going to come back to your mindset and where your attention and focus remain, whether you're alone or whether you're with a team. We know it's much easier to fall in the pits of despair when there's nobody around us to measure our progress off of or when those two speed demons take off and I feel like I'm barely moving. We don't have somebody beside us cheering us on or we're feeding off their energy and motivation. It's just us with maybe our jerry can in a pit of hell. There's many techniques that you can use in these moments. One technique that I like to lean on is to try and disrupt my negativity bias. We as humans have a negativity bias. We see things in a negative light. We do that for survival. And that has, throughout evolution, got us to where we are as a species right now. So I know in those moments, my brain is going to instantly start seeking out the things I don't have and the things that are wrong versus the things that are right. So a good way for me to interrupt this script is start becoming aware of the things that I do have, aware of the things that I control in this moment that I have agency over and the things that I can control to go right. I start setting small goals. I'll look up ahead and see something 100 yards up ahead and I'll say, I'm going to make it there before I can count to 20. And then I'll start counting and that'll help me move out a little bit faster. It gives me this small micro goal. When I get to that goal, I'm going to say, man, that was pretty good, but I can do better. And I'm going to set a new goal up ahead. If the distance I have to cover is really far, I may stop looking on the horizon and start looking down at my feet and try to stay really present and just say, I'm going to count 50 steps. And then I'm going to just glance up and see where I'm at towards my goals. And I'm going to look back down. I'm going to count 50 more steps. And my goal is something as simple as counting my steps is going to allow me to continue to hopefully turn over my feet at a faster pace and go as fast as my mind will allow me to go. And yes, I said my mind because it is your mind holding you back. It is rarely your body. And those are just two small tips that I use when I'm doing something hard and extreme. You need to be out practicing with heavy things moving long ways and figure out how are you going to overcome those mental demons when you're by yourself and you're descending down into the pit of hell. Now let's move away from the physical aspect because a lot of us are motivated to do those things. Most of us practice that every day because we work out every day and we're really hyper focused on working out. But what about the tasks that we're going to give you that you don't value as much? How are you keeping your motivation and your drive up during those events. Well, you need to figure that out as well. So when we give you tasks that seem mundane or we give you tasks that, you're ha that are competing with other tasks because folks, it's not just going to be, hey, here's a task and let me know when you get it done. You're going to get handed a bunch of tasks and then you have to decide which one is more important right now and stay driven and motivated towards all those tasks to complete all of them in a very competent and credible manner. We value the mundane task as much as we value your ability to deadlift 500 pounds. Like that's the way it is. So as you're coming into the process, you need to figure out how to maintain your drive and motivation towards every single thing that you're given, despite what your unconscious mind is trying to do, which is to measure what you should be doing by what everybody else is doing. Everybody else may be in the wrong. You have the courage to go in and show what right looks like to everybody else. All right, here's some real world examples from Pure Feedback. First candidate, I believe his drive was strong and he came here motivated. However, where I saw fault was during infill. He seemed to be underprepared or was just going through the event with no added drive or motivation to give a stronger effort. Now, I want y'all to think about that. 
if his peer saw that, you can guarantee the people running the event saw that. You can guarantee that we see that. Folks, this is a job interview, and you just got to keep remembering that. Everything that you do, we're assessing. And that's what attribute-based selection is about. So if you give off the perception to us and your peers that you're just going through the motions, it's not going to work out favorably for you. All right, next candidate. Drive was heavily impacted by how he perceived his performance. The worse he felt like he was doing, the more his drive decreased. Next candidate. He is the epitome of drive you expect from an ANS candidate. His ability to push through physical and mental barriers is unrivaled. Next candidate. His drive was lacking the later it got into the week. He would often not step up and volunteer to do the undesirable task. Seemed to give up sometimes on physical events because of the difficulty. Next candidate. The best way to describe his drive is that there is a difference between putting out and willing to die. And he was willing to die. He wanted to be here and it was obvious. And just know, as the folks running this and looking for people that we want to bring into our formation, that level of dedication and drive is exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for you to push yourself right up to the edge and understand that that's your edge and understand how to recover from that edge so you can do it again soon. Now we arrive at the part of the podcast where we just give a couple of simple tips to help get you over the hurdles and maybe demonstrate that you have drive and capacity that we want to see and that you're capable of. Now, a lot of times we get in our own ways, especially during selection. Once we start getting tired and there's no end in sight, our minds start doing certain things to us. We start regressing back into ourselves, focusing on the wrong thing. So therein lies the major tip we're going to cover here, which is attention control. And I'm pulling this off the document that our sports psychologist, Dr. Wellborn, has hanging on our website. Now, attention control is key here. So first off, let's define what concentration is. So concentration is the ability to direct attention to appropriate cues in the present task instead of being controlled by irrelevant external or internal stimuli. A lot of that irrelevant data is worth thinking about maybe you're on a long ruck. How are other people doing? irrelevant to me at this point in time. How am I feeling on the inside? Am I in pain? Might be relevant, but not to dwell on. Just to fix something real quick and to get back to the task at hand, which is to move as fast as possible until we tell you to stop. So from the guide on the website, Dr. Wilborn describes two types of attention. There's self-focused attention and task-focused attention. Self-focused attention, sometimes it's appropriate. It's appropriate when you're reviewing, critiquing, and analyzing your performance with a goal of identifying your strengths and weaknesses. It's inappropriate and potentially detrimental to performing at your optimum level during a performance. So what does that tell us? When we're in the middle of our performance, if we regress into self-focused attention, it's going to disrupt your ability to perform optimally. Now, why is that? It's because when you're in that self-focused attention, you're thinking about internal thoughts and processes. That self-judgment is kicking in and you're, you're having those ruminating thoughts of maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe this isn't right for me. You're focused on the past or the future, not the present. And as you're focused on that past or future, you're, again, ir- irrelevant data that you can't control in the moment. And then uncontrollable aspects of the performance is what you're focused on. If you're focused on uncontrollable aspects, there's nothing you can do about them. They're wasted energy, wasted thoughts. Let's move over to task-focused attention. Optimal human performance can be seen as requiring minimal self-judgment, 
minimal attention to external or internal threat, and minimal future-oriented focus on possible performance consequences and ramifications. This can be summarized as active absorption in the task as opposed to active absorption in the self. That statement came from a research paper by Gardner and Moore back from 2007, but it describes what we're talking about here. So task-focused attention, when you're in that task-focused mindset, you're focused on external stimuli, options, and contingencies, things that matter to your current process. You are process-focused. You're in the present moment, and what can be controlled is what you're worried about, not what can't be controlled. So the magic sauce to all of this is nothing, none of this can work if you don't first become aware of what's happening inside your mind. Without that awareness, any tool that anybody gives you will be worthless. Oftentimes, especially in situations like a, a rigorous ANS process, you will become automatically focused on the self. That pity party starts for yourself. You're, hurt, you're worried about your, your feet are hurting. Your knee has never hurt this bad, so you must be doing some permanent damage to it. Your hips are killing you. You're tired. You're thirsty. You're not sure you have enough food to make it to the end. All these self-focused attention traps just keep circulating over and over. It's this closed loop that never stops until you become aware of it. Engage your executive functions of your brain, that prefrontal cortex, where it can then start suppressing that self-focused attention. Redirect your thoughts to the task. Because like it says here in Dr. Wellborn's document, task-focused attention is where optimal human performance lives. So how do I do this? First thing I, I do over and over again during these long days, and I'll just use an example for my Appalachian Trail through hike, 2,200 miles, 113 days. I was walking 25 miles a day over gigantic multiple mountains a day. Towards the later parts of the day, I would become really worn out and my mind would start wreaking havoc on me. So what I developed every day periodically, every time that I would stop and drink water or every time I had to stop to catch my breath going up a giant mountain, I would simply say, where's your mind at right now? That one cue would then point to where my attention is. Usually it had regressed into some self-focused attention traps and it would allow me to refocus it back on the task at hand, which is to walk up this mountain to make it to my next campsite before dark so on and so forth. So to say it another way, I used the questions as an anchor. I used my water stops as an anchor back into awareness. I used every time I crested a mountain stop to stop and ask myself, where is your mind at right now? There are many times that if I didn't do that, I would basically make it to an amazing view, but I would be so tired and so worried about the future that I wouldn't stop and process the beauty of the moment until I started using the anchors come up to a beauty spot, stop, ask myself, where's your mind at right now? And that question allowed me to engage the executive functions of my brain, tamp down my self-focused pity party, and engage my task-focused attention, which at that moment, my task was to soak in the beauty and enjoy the moment. Now, this is something you're going to have to practice before you get here. If you think you're just not going to practice this, then show up and get on the long march or on Xville or some other hard event and start employing these tools and tips for the first time. It's not going to do you well. So go to our website, read the document about the attention control plan. And Dr. Wellborn gives you guidelines for attention training. And then share this with your psych doc. And I guarantee your psych doc probably has their own training plan for attention. But show them this document. Get them to help you with your preparation for selection. And I promise those dark demons that are coming won't be as potent and they won't be as frequent 
because you now have a plan to pull your awareness back to what's important, and that's the task at hand. And maybe last but not least, when we're looking at ways to increase your drive and your motivation, especially in the tough times, is understanding what your why, your purpose and your meaning is behind you being where you are at any given moment in your life, but especially when you come through ANS. The potency of developing a good, strong why statement and have it serving as the mental bulwark for you when things get dark. Uh, you can just look at Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, once again, and how important it is to have that why, that reason for being in every moment of the day. And sitting down and taking time to develop that will serve you well, not only in A&S, but in life in general. Waking up every day and reminding yourself of what your purpose and your meaning are is going to make you that driven person at work, that driven person in your relationship, trying to make things better, trying to spend more valuable time with people. It's the difference between the guys that you see in the team rooms who aren't really focused and just kind of surviving, waiting for four o'clock, and the ones who are thriving and just pushing forward and trying new things and looking to better themselves every day. So I'll end this podcast by asking, what is your purpose and meaning for wanting to come up to our selection process or whatever you're doing in your life? Answer that for yourself and you're going to be doing pretty good. Now I'm going to give you a helpful tool. In chapter 12 of my book, Pushing North, Tame the Mind, Savor the Journey, it talks all about building the mental bulwarks. So I'm going to provide that link down in the show notes on YouTube. So if you're listening on any other medium, head over to YouTube, click on that. That's going to take you to a Google Drive link where I provide that chapter, the audible version of it, where you can listen to that free. It will guide you to the importance of building the why statement, the purpose and the meaning. It's going to give you some anecdotal pieces from my life of how they've played out and how they've helped me. And it's also going to give you a little three step process to help you develop yours. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go see your site doctors and professionals to help you. Uh, but I'm just providing this tool because it's available and it's something I can give all of you. All right, y'all. It's been a challenging podcast to get this put together. I hope it was comprehensible. I love doing these, but they challenge me beyond belief. You know, each week, starting with a blank slate and trying to build something that's going to add meaning to all of your lives is challenging, to say the least. But my purpose and meaning is to add value to your life. So when you come up here to us, you can show us the best version of you and we get to make a good decision off of good data versus bad decisions off of bad data. All right, y'all. Have a great weekend. Spend some time with your family or some friends, people that mean something to you, build some connections, and we'll see you here next week. All right.